0: to make you smile whenever you're sad <laughs> carry you around when your arthritis gets bad oh all i want to do is grow old with you you know that song yeah i'll get you medicine when your tummy aches build you a fire if the furnace breaks so oh, it would be so nice growing old with you
1: i never believed in things that i couldn't see I said, if I can feel it, how could it be? No, no magic could happen to me. And then I saw you. I couldn't believe it. You took my heart. I couldn't achieve it. That's all I got right
2: now. That's it. That's perfect. That is a good icebreaker.
1: That's (laughs) that's You Can Do Magic by
2: America, by the way. Unreal song. There we go. That wasn't so difficult. Yeah, and
0: we legitimately get every guest to sing, man. It's good. I, I think it like it really breaks the ice. It just breaks we the ice. You can't do something more nerve wracking after that. We
2: have no budget for a show tune of some sort yeah. or some
1: sort of cam music or I, something. I like that. I love when the guests do do a rap song and, yeah. and it's <laughs> <laughs> the first couple times I listen, I was like, what the hell is this guy what talking about? And I'm that? like, wait, why does that sound familiar? Yeah,
2: like, I know, eh? But they just bastardize it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just killed America right and there. And you're just so. being nice about it. That's yeah. all it is. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks Thanks thank us. you. Thanks for having like being on the show. I'm, I'm excited about this conversation, right? So we got Nick and Dan here from uh, you want to go the Canadian Real Estate Investor, uh, sorry, the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. Yes, sir. Yeah. How long have you guys been doing your show for?
1: This is month number nine. We we did a podcast for probably another nine to twelve months before that, but we had a great opportunity to relaunch under this new brand under a kind of new cadence and and really got to reinvent ourselves. So nine months doing this, and it's been awesome.
2: You guys love doing it? A lot love of it. work, huh?
0: Yeah. Probably, <laughs> probably not as much as you're putting in, though. I mean, like what you are what you were saying, if you get to a, an, a daily episode or whatever it is, it's... it's hard. It's a yeah. lot of work. But yeah, I, was, I, yeah.
2: I thoroughly enjoy the conversations, man. Yeah. yeah. that's all Well, that unfortunately,
1: is. Dan and I spend most of our time talking to each other on the podcast. Yeah, we don't,
0: so we don't get starts. to interview. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think the big thing is it's like a research-based podcast. So it's really like... you know, creating value on specific topics for real estate investors in Canada and so a lot of it's research driven and it takes us a little while to come up with each episode like it's almost like writing a curriculum right so yeah it's I can imagine
2: bit. that's right so there's gonna be a lot of homework yeah, yeah.
1: yeah of stuff. there's a lot for every sure. episode yeah, like, whether it's like an evergreen one like the fundamentals of real estate investing or you know the 10-step process to buying your first investment uh, property or ongoing news that we you know take and dissect from a bunch of different places it's each episode there's minimum hour or hours yeah. of work that goes into it yeah
2: yeah see me it's just just the 15 years i've been in construction and then i just get people on the show that i want to know more about and then i ask them a bunch of questions how do i do this and i take it to my own jobs love it happy to be here so you know they're happy to be here and they're sharing all this information on or off the mic they share it (laughs) which i love right so i get a lot of insider stuff that i can't share later on in the mic but i still have the information let me share the information here guys so emails to reach you guys is nick.hill at landbankadvisors.ca and daniel you're daniel. Fosh, yeah. right it's uh, f-o-c-h at landbankadvisors.ca and then social to reach out to them is uh at my buddy nick 89 and then also my buddy nick and then daniel fosh and then at daniel hyphenated fosh right yeah so uh, quick shout out I got Chris's T on he says it's an extra large but this feels like it's a triple X it's just, unless I've shrunk with my age but thanks so much Chris for the Richardson shirt I really appreciate it it's actually a nice blue I like it uh, Nice Carhartt yeah. uh, it's Carhartt he's got attached to Carhartt as well of course right? so gotta. I feel like I'm in the movie town man I'm just gonna rob something now it's just <laughs> Carhartt everywhere Bostonians there they listen they like it it's all good man uh, what else I wanted to share something else with you guys as well too It's just a little bit of construction information that I was always sharing So. Simon, thank you so much for um, sharing this information because we've uh, had plenty of conversations regarding wiring and how I feel that if you're a homeowner and you're getting um, hiring someone to do work and you're getting the permit, you should have a different fee structure, which he actually reminded me that there is a different fee structure. So, for example, in 2022, wiring fee guide, if you're a contractor for a service of a 200 amp panel, it's $223. If you're a homeowner, it's 500 bucks. So I love that it's twice the price, right? Uh, 200 to 400 amp is 322 for contractor, 653 for non-contractor. So there is a fee structure regarding all this stuff, and I'm really glad that they do that. And then he also reminded me that the ESA does public, or does publish um, electricians that mess up do illegal work their names their businesses and the fines that were attached to them and what they paid and all this other stuff so it is on the website i was questioning that and he brought it up so simon thanks so much for doing that where do you guys want to begin this conversation because i love what you guys are saying when we were chatting yeah, before yeah every contractor that i know every tradesperson that i know and even off mic before we got started you need a side hustle. You need some side yeah. income. Like I, In construction, we have a plateau. Mm-hmm. You can have so many days, so many jobs, so many projects, so yeah. many whatever. You're only ever going to make X amount of money. Yeah. And the only way you increase that number is by doing something on the side, right. which is where you guys are the number one regarding that something on the side.
0: Yeah, I would say so. Like, I think real estate investing is probably the best, most surefire way for people to, to make money as a, I would call it a side hustle. I wouldn't call it like a passive investment. A lot of people think real estate's passive, but it's, it's not. Being a landlord is certainly a job. Um, but I think especially for people in the trades, people in the cons- in, in the construction industry, there's immense opportunity for those people to do well as real estate investors. Yeah. And it's through either adding value to properties, right, um, increasing rents, because in in Ontario you're capped at what you can increase a rent. You can only increase rent by two and a half percent, right, this year. Um, basically, they they index it to inflation. But if you are doing real capital expenditures to a property, so like things beyond cosmetic upgrades, you can apply for what's called an above guideline increase, and that allows you to increase rents beyond a certain amount because you've made substantial changes. How much to the property. more can you increase it? What well, you have to go and apply, and the and the courts will give you an amount that you're able to to increase it by. Okay. So you would say I want to increase it by ten or twenty percent, and then they would might come back and say I think there is a limit. I think it's like eight and a half or ten percent. Rent's getting higher. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's crazy right now. Yeah. Like year year over year, uh, double digit increases in most cities in Canada. Yep. Um, and in, in the states, they're coming down. Uh, for the past three months, rents have been coming down, but, um, but still, I mean, yeah, it's just nuts. And a lot of that is because interest rates are so high and it's pushing people out of ownership. Um, so yeah, I want to talk like maybe broadly about how people in the construction industry can use real estate to build wealth within their business. Like we're seeing a lot of people buying their, their, um, commercial condos, running their business out of a commercial condo or buying a piece of land that they run their yard out of. Um, and we, you know, both Nick and I have represented a lot of people who are self-employed. I'm, I'm a realtor, a real estate broker, and he's a, a mortgage broker or mortgage agent. And, uh, and it's, it's difficult for a lot of people in the construction space, skilled trade, we're entrepreneurs, right? We're earning income on our own. It's difficult for a lot of them to get mortgages. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Yep. Talk about how to, you know, use business credit to go buy property to expand your business and then build wealth within your business. So that's an easy thing to do. Not easy, but it's worth it. So that's an option on the table. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You want to start there? We can, well, we can start wherever you guys yeah. want to start, but I know there's going
2: to be a lot of questions and, yeah. and then they're going to be asking all these questions too, right? Yeah. So. so,
0: so the first, the place that I would recommend people go is to BDC, the business development bank of Canada. If you just Google it, go through their website, we've done an episode on this. Um, they, their mandate is to help Canadian businesses grow. So if you run a business, you can go to them and you can get a loan for, to expand your business. In a lot of cases you can get a loan to buy property. If as long as it's related to your business, you can get a loan to buy property uh, up to a hundred percent loan to value. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because their How mandate strict are they? Uh, I mean, they're pretty lenient if the, if the business case makes sense, like they're not going to go ma- let you make a bad investment or buy something that's completely unrelated to your business. But like, they will, and it says that right on their website. Like, most people just don't know about this stuff. So. so,
2: you know, construction. We're famous for not making so much money on paper for a reason. Yeah. Does that help or hurt us?
0: I guess it depends on, on when, when you say not making so much money, if it means, and I'll let Nick kind of answer a lot of this, how it works on the mortgage underwriting side, but if it, if it's you're doing a lot of tax deductions, so your gross income was maybe... 300 or 500,000, and you wrote it down to 100K to pay less tax, or if the reason is because it's both, right. it's
2: because of cash. Because right. anybody in construction, if you're legitimate and you're doing a good job, mm-hmm. I've told this over and over. Uh, I personally have never done it, but it's not the smart way to do it. I've always done by the books, but the majority of people in the construction industry are doing splits where a percentage of it is a cash and they're being paid by cash. But then now the banks have no idea that that money was or income.
1: Yeah. I mean, we see this all the time. And and Dan and I work with a number of different contractors and a number of different markets. My, my career started off in construction. um, So again, love it, go all the way back, but it's one of those things we see on the mortgage side and not just in construction and anyone that's that's an entrepreneur that has their own business where there's the ability to, you know, get a little bit of money that, that is not going to be accounted for. Then when they come to, to get a mortgage for me and I'm literally dealing with two clients like this right now, this one lovely lady will just say very high level without getting into any specifics, has a few other kind of part-time gigs. She consults on one thing. She runs another little business here, but... She doesn't make enough money to really claim anything. So she's like, well, I am making X amount of number of dollars more a year. I'm like, okay, well, that's great. Can we prove it? No. Okay, well, then it doesn't matter whatsoever. Technically,
2: it doesn't exist.
1: So, you know, and but even to go further back to go what we were talking about before we uh, jumped on here, um, you know, the, the multiple streams of income and, and the side hustles and whatnot, I, I think that's such a huge thing. You know, we talk to real estate investors all the time. A lot of the people we speak to, are pre-investment trying to get to that first investment property. Okay. The number one question is always, okay, well, you know, how much money do I need? How do I get into it? Where do I find the money? How do you spend your time, you know, in that time? Okay, well, there's there's two options. One, you go figure out how to make more money and simultaneously learn as much as you can about finding deals, analyzing deals, bringing bringing those deals to the right people. Um, or you go and find a joint venture partner, or you sit around and wait. But literally, like, everyone out there right now, especially in this economy, especially if you want to be an an investor, an active investor, is you need to figure out a way to make more money. And, you know, luckily, we've been able to do that because we haven't taken a traditional path. Real estate agent, mortgage agent, um, the podcast generates revenue, our referral business generates revenue, the income properties generate revenue.
0: But every day everybody should be doing this. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just like, what is it? The average millionaire has like seven streams of income. Exactly.
1: So literally just, and like the, the thing with people is again, there'll be people out there listening to this. That'll be like, okay, well I want to be like those guys. And you know, I want, I want uh, multiple streams of income. I never had multiple streams of income like that. It, It took time to get here and it took a lot of work to get here. And you know, you add one, and it you know even if it's making another couple hundred dollars a month that's still you're know, making an incremental difference right and that adds up so that would be my main piece of advice to anyone listening is figure out more ways that you can make more money
2: um off of what you're already generating
1: off of what you're already generating but like you know and that can be outside people there's so many people that have interesting skills now and there's so many ways to make money whether online or or using a skill or buying a piece of equipment like go buy a power washer and start power washing shit on the weekends you know it doesn't have to be i'm building an app or i'm creating a course or anything like that it's simple stuff i mean you know, when I so was
0: like, I, I rent a dump trailer. out. Literally Dan rent Dan <laughs> Dan yeah, a, a dump, trailer. dump trailer. Yeah. Out. I got jet skis. I rent out. Like.
1: <laughs> like when I first started years and years ago and I'm a university and college educated when I first started years ago, and this is for a mutual partner of ours as well. Like I was going and doing random landscaping jobs on, on the weekend just to get any little source of income I could to take that money to put into my investments. I was still buying property, but you know, it doesn't have to be glamorous. It just has to be.
2: Income generating a quarter is still a quarter. You yeah. add a hundred quarters. You start adding. Exactly. And nobody.
0: Nobody ever went broke making a dollar, right?
2: No. No, I
0: think it's interesting for trades to like, you know, one of the popular ways that we see people in construction make money is through flipping properties, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, yes. that's kind of the low hanging fruit. It's not passive by any means. It's probably the least passive way to make money on property, but challenging these days, though. It is. You really got to know your entry and exit. Yeah. Um, and there is a lot of risk. But then the other piece of the puzzle, though, is like, OK, for the people who are making who, who are doing the most of their business cash and and let's just say they're not going to be subject to the mortgage advice that Nick's going to give for tradespeople um, because that the money doesn't exist on paper and they probably don't want it to. So, but somebody like that, could, if they can't convince a bank that they are creditworthy, that they, could, that they deserve a mortgage for however much money, maybe they could go and convince some owner of a teardown cottage in the middle of nowhere that they're creditworthy and that that person should give them a vendor take back mortgage, which is basically where that, you know, you have a cottage up in the middle of nowhere. It's a tear down. Nobody's lived in it for a hundred years or 50 years, whatever it's about to fall down. Um, The bank's not going to lend money on that anyway. So I've got, I've got uh, me and this property have the same problem. Uh, If I'm this cash cash buyer, um, the, the property can't hold a mortgage and I can't hold a mortgage. So, why don't if the bank's not going to touch either of us, why don't I connect with this owner and say, "Look, I'll buy your cottage. You just lend me the the value of the property. I'll give you 200 grand for it. I'll give you 20k today and I'll give you the rest in monthly payments over the next 5 years on whatever interest
1: rate you choose."
2: There's people out there that do this.
0: Vendor takebacks well, are
1: extremely common. We've literally got three going on right now and really? three deals yeah, that yeah. we have and yeah. and honestly from a real estate investing standpoint, a lot of the investors that we work with this is one of the first things that we always pitch them. Go see if you can get a vendor take back because it circumvents a whole bunch of the BS that you have to you have to deal yeah. with with the bank and not even just the bank, but B lenders, credit unions, and even private lenders where you're to be paying double digits. Like you can get great terms on vendor take back mortgages. So
0: so you get so like I would say the kind of guy who's probably doing most of his jobs cash doesn't want the banks to see it. Um he's probably gonna have a pretty easy time convincing some old beauty with a cottage or, you know, a tear down house. It's just sitting there. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, Hey, like, let me fix this thing up for you. And, and then I'll like, let me buy this off you. I'll pay you when I sell it. Right. Yeah. You know, let me go, I'll do the permits. I'll do whatever. I'll do all the work. And you're basically rebuilding a house, but you don't have to pay development charges. Cause when you're renovating, you, you save money right off the bat. You could co- basically completely rebuild a house.
2: More attractive to them now. way. Eh? For sure. Well, there's
0: a lot of reasons it would be like, if it's just sitting there, that's not the person's primary residence, which means that if they sell it, they're going to have to pay capital gains on it. Yeah. If somebody does a vendor take back, they can actually defer capital gains or spread that capital gain out over five years. It's a, it's like a and it's totally allowable. That's a tax strategy. Really, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So if anything, we've well, another pitch that we've done for some elder people trying to get out of the real estate game and retire, for instance. They want to sell all their properties at once. We've actually, we, we just, I think we're closing on this in the next couple of weeks. Um, this one gentleman was like, well, no, I just, I'm going to take all my money out and put it in dividend stocks. We're like this is a dividend stock. Mm-hmm. So just, just work with us. And we, and you know, once we explained it to them, it became a lot easier. And then, you know, the trades guys, I think anyone, especially if you're a younger person in trades, you've got such an opportunity right now. You are so so needed in so many ways. I know a few guys in in Peterborough. These two young brothers, the Hicks brothers. I hope these guys are listening. I'll send them the episode. Sure. Plumber and electrician. They're both probably in their mid twenties. These guys get so much work because every other investor needs them and wants them because they know how to do it from yep. an investor standpoint, yep. right? I'm not saying investor, are quote unquote, cutting corners or anything like that. But you're not building builder's grade, but you're also not building luxury grade. You're building with different type of durable materials. Yep and and they know the layouts to to do you know they know the building code that is all for uh, like secondary suites and whatnot these guys are absolutely crushing it. And they also now get to pull all their trades buddies in. Oh, I know a drywaller, I know a mutter. I know a taper. I know Saves a, the investor the headache. Saves the but now they're going investing themselves as well because they're like, why are we just doing this for other people?
0: Well, and especially if you got a group of like ten buddies who are all like all sitting on cash, right? So in between the or even like five guys, like between five trades people, you could solve Hundred percent of problems that a yeah. house might have, right? Realistically, yeah. yeah. And true. so, if if between those five guys, you have enough cash to buy a place, you know, and and the worse condition the house, the better for the trades, because yeah. the value that they're doing that they're putting into the house right now is is through the sweat equity, right? Yeah. And the reality is, if if you go renovate a house and and put it on the market, people who make money flipping, they're typically trying to charge about one hundred and thirty percent of what they spend. So, you know, a markup of three dollars, or yeah. I guess $3 yeah, that's something. about right. Yeah. Or sorry. Yeah. $30 on every hundred dollars that they spend. Yeah. Yes. And so if you're a trade and you're doing that at, you know, your wholesale cost, mm-hmm. then I mean, it's, it's well, just it what you opened up deal. with,
1: right? Like what's the difference between the customer buying it and the trades person yeah. buying it. Right. So yeah. you add that in as well, you know, and I think this is, I don't know if we want to go here right away, but like the, the trades and uh, you know, it's, it's funny. We were thinking about what we want to talk about on the way here. And we're like, man, you know, maybe the, the crane index, maybe the labor shortage. Bill twenty three, um, I think too. Bill right? twenty three, so that's
0: the big, biggest opportunity in Canada right now, I think.
1: So we're getting we're getting Mike Holmes, who's, who's a personal friend on the on the podcast, and he's got this one great story about uh, when you know Mike Holmes senior and junior walking through the mall one day, and there's some plumber, an electrician, or something like that, in overalls doing whatever he's doing there, and as they're walking by, some other kid and his dad says, "See, this is why you have to go to school; so you don't end up like this guy." Meanwhile, that dad who's saying to the kid probably is making, you know, 65, 65 grand a year and struggling with his bills. And, and this trades guy is, you know, yeah, he might not yeah, have a suit the, on, the but the he's... the perception of it, Exactly. Right. So, so that, but that's what I'm getting at is, we, like, I want to try to break that perception because, you know, the trades are not looked at as, as the sexy thing to do anymore. But they I, I feel like there's going to be a renaissance period for that because everything in Canada is pointing towards the absolute desperation for more housing and how do we do that we need people to build it so
2: we got a lot to talk about i mean first of all mike holmes is not a fan of this show He's not. No. <laughs> I uh, won't send him the episode then. <laughs> this is uh, Junior, by the way, no. not C. Well, I, even Junior's bad. Junior's got more knowledge about yoga pants than he does about construction. Okay, <laughs> that's what I will say. He doesn't know shit about construction, and so I'm not a fan of his. He's not a fan of this show, because this is a real show about construction. So it's just, it's just funny you guys bring that up, and I'm sure that anybody who's listening, they're probably waiting for my comment about that, right? But everybody has. I saw up. your eyes light up when yeah, so, I so, said. So anybody that has been on TV on TV isn't a fan of this show. So that's why I like having legitimate people on the show because this is the real version of construction, right? So Mike Holmes, the dad, he was a contractor at the very beginning and he was about the industry and all this other shit. But then the monetary side of things came along, right? Mm-hmm. The sponsorships and all that stuff came along. But uh, Junior never went to school. And it's a fact that Junior has never submitted an estimate to a single client ever in his life. He's never been rejected by a client. He's never been taken advantage by a client. He's never been through any of the shit that a regular contractor has been through. So that's why there's no respect for me on this side of the table for that individual, right? And so it, it's, this is all public knowledge. It's fucking, it's just how I am, right? And <laughs> I'm I don't not give per- am I'm not it. personally offended. <laughs> this is just, no. this is really entertaining. But it's just funny that you brought it up, but it, but I agree with you about how the stigma. And, yeah. and I think that you're, you're 100% right that, there's a lot of young people getting into trades that are missing opportunities. Mm-hmm. They've, they've spent far less on their schooling to get into trades. Whether they actually went to a trade school and learned from there... And then got into the trade. so they probably only spent maybe twenty grand on their if, schooling. If that, yeah. But they paid that off in their first year of construction working, or right? as an apprentice, you still Even get as paid appre- as an apprentice, exactly, right? Right. Yeah. So th- that's far less than going to school and spending six figures on your schooling, coming education. out with an arts degree, and right. then earning four years, yeah, and coming out of university in debt. Then you come into a job site, and and you're already two, three years into the industry, and you're already applying legitimately applying for a mortgage. Mm-hmm. Like that says a lot for a tradesperson who like you know, you got that dad saying, you shouldn't be like that. no, 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 no. trades are there's something I just there's a lot of corruption in the political side of trades where I'm not a fan of because a lot of things are being taken advantage of. But when I go back to the younger, they have opportunities that we didn't have when we were at that age, like when my my dad's generation got started, they were immigrants coming here and you were making next to nothing as a labor, as a bricklayer, or whatever. And homes back then were 100 grand and interest rates were less than 20%, just shy of less than 20%. So it's just like it was a different model, but now it's, they have opportunities. So they could be 20, 25 years old, making 50, 60K. If they're smart about it, have a side hustle or doing some, make money wherever you possibly can. You can have that money to buy that first property quickly.
1: Dan, how many times have we said most of the guys, all the successful guys that we went to high school with, got their, you know, they were they were working as a trade within a few years after graduating high school. All those guys bought their first houses. Those guys all owned cars and trucks and toys, cottages, and everyone I know that went to university. And I went to both college. I went to construction engineering technology at George Brown, but I had gone to university as well. And to see the difference in in what those people were doing yeah. afterwards was, was fascinating, right? I mean, yeah, it was sexier to go to university, but... You know, is it sexier afterwards when you're a young adult and you can't afford shit?
0: No. Well, especially, like, the timing of our generation. Like, I'm a 1991 baby, so a lot of, like, you know, I guess we're, like, kind of the second half of the millennial generation. That four years, like, during that four-year period, house prices, like went up 25 30 percent so you started university you could afford a house you finish university you can no longer afford a house like that gap could have just been been what killed you but all my all my all my buddies who like were in the trades like i come from a small town north of toronto and like all my friends in my hometown are from or work in the trades they they all straight out of of high school got an apprenticeship bought a house within a year out of high school right maybe bought a rental property within two years if they were smart right and now they they've probably paid their houses off by the time most of us were done university they were you know they they had a couple hundred thousand equity in their house they have a better paying job than most kids in university so yeah. i mean it is funny it's almost like a, it is a bit of a blessing for the trades industry that like there is that stigma or like that cultural thing because it keeps the trades scarce like no if, if if there's not a lot of people wanting to enter it it means that you know if you're in the trades you can charge a lot more right
2: i do i, do, I know a lot of guys argue that But I don't know if that's going to be the case. I still think, and I've told the guys over and over, start considering other revenue streams. I've always said that over and over. Try to figure out if you want to somehow come up with cool-looking logo T-shirts or whatever swag, and you want to sell them somehow, and all of a sudden they become something online – Get an Etsy account. Dude, like what you guys are saying, just come up with all these different Anything things. Anything and
1: everything. Everyone's got ideas, just no one. Actions always speak louder than words. Yeah. Always.
2: I love seeing tradespeople that always come up with new ideas for products. Yeah. So when I get yeah. guests on the show, like we had Drywall Guys yeah. there and they came up with a new way to do a corner and they came up with a product that, that was from paper. And they patented and now they're selling it and it's getting out there and it's just getting started. It's just the beginning, if it's it, right? But the thing is that's that's where you want it. So if you're a tradesperson, you've been doing electrical plumbing, H- whatever. There's something in your head spinning. Yeah. You and there's you always a there's a better it. way to do this. Exactly. Like okay,
1: here's two good examples. because I love where you're going with this. So there was this thing on Dragons and I've watched every episode of Dragons and Shark Tank. And there was this this guy that had to put a wet paintbrush in like a sealable Tupperware type clip, and it was yeah. basically built around that. I'm like I've done a lot of painting in my day. I'm like, this is the simplest shit ever. How has no one thought about this? I just saw on Instagram the other day someone who invented a roller that does corners perfectly. I'm like, I have you know how many times I've cut the whole room before and then the And then roll. And then roll, right? So again, if you're a tradesperson you're doing this, you know, you're it can get a little monotonous. You're doing something something similar most days. You're gonna identify the problems in that yep. series or sequence of events a lot faster than anyone else's start looking for the opportunity in that sequence of events to make it better.
2: I agree with you guys. Totally. So, all right, so we're okay. That's that side. So the, everyone's got their business. And so it's possible that you're cash based not fully cash based You still have to prove that you're a good. Always citizen.
1: still make some money on
2: paper. You or you're going to be screwed you in you more ways than all one. Kinds, right. Yeah. So it's like have that and then get started from there. Right.
0: Well, yeah. And if if you're if you're a person who can't find who can't get a mortgage for whatever reason, but if it's if it's because you're mostly working for cash, if you're that type of person, go find a property that also can't get a mortgage. Like it, because the reality is, especially if you're a trade, like if you can go find a tear down old cottage in some town that the bank would look at it or the bank would send an appraiser to the property and the appraiser would say, no, we're not lending on this property, right? then who else is going to buy it? Only some, either a somebody with cash or b somebody who can convince the owner to lend them the property until they fix it up.
2: Right? What's the number one thing the bank wants to hear from you? Income. That's it.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, that, that would be the number Stable one yeah. income, income yeah. um, credit. And then for most, like for most mortgages in Canada, are you going to live in the property? Right. Cause a lot of yeah. people are buying for primary residence. Yeah. And that like there are, Two different programs, primary residence versus investment or f- like there are lenders who will do flip mortgages as well, right? Yeah, we work with someone. But I, and they won't, b- And they'll actually lend like without even really looking at income. It's really more relationship based. Like does the deal work? And so it's, <laughs> uh, it, it's, the in, it's the ins and outs of the deal. So they'll really underwrite based on the deal and your ability to execute the deal. And your income doesn't really have that much to do with the, the ability to execute the deal, right?
1: Got it. So one of the other one of the other ways that anyone with any kind of skilled trade or even just construction experience in general, if you can be a GC or a PM or anything like that, and you don't have the money, you've been doing a lot of it in cash. You're young, whatever. Go find someone with cash and no time that wants to get involved in real estate and partner up with them. We've done deals like that too, where this property, you know, that we have to get a traditional mortgage. It's going to be a traditional deal. There's a buyer with cash, with the right credit and the right history, all that kind of stuff. And then there's someone else that comes in who's got the time and the expertise to do it. And to be honest, whether you're a plumber, an electrician or, or whatever, you a carpenter, whatever you are in that trade, you know other trades and you can start pulling them yep. in. And you've, you've been on enough job sites to know what goes right and what goes wrong. And residential stuff, for the most part, it's pretty easy. Um, so that's another thing I'd be telling any young trades person who's listening to go. And if you want to get involved in real estate investing, figure out what you're good at and then go start pitching
2: that to people that want to get involved, but don't have the time, but have the money. Are long deck boards causing you stress? Are bow wrenches wearing your crew out? There's an easier way to install your next decking and siding project. Just make Musso Bamboo Extreme decking and siding your next choice for a truly sustainable, durable, and uniform material. With Musso Bamboo Extreme, you can install decking and siding with less labor, less waste, increased profits. Visit www.musobamboo.com today. There's also uh, the other thing that... I mean in my 15 years of being in construction I'm always clients change their mind products arrive and they're not always the perfect product so then it's less hassle just not to return the product uh, it's just yeah. easier to hang on to it but then I quickly started realizing hang on to that shit because it will be useful one day and that's where you guys come in right. you hi- find a property and all of a sudden you've got a sink vanity tiles you got tiles you got toilets pine- you got everything <laughs> Just start stockpiling, and all of a sudden sure. you have a lot, of, and that starts to offset it. Not so much your skills; you're already offsetting it, but the material starts to offset it too, yeah. right? No, that's a, it's a great point, right? So I know yeah. in the beginning you you just uh, you touched upon uh, the whole business side, yeah, about acquiring land yeah. and yeah. buying land yeah. for yeah. your business
0: and expanding yeah. your business, yeah. right? Let's get into that world. Yeah. So one of the primary ways that you see people amass wealth through real estate is by using it for business interests so you know you'll see big industrial companies build their industrial facilities as an example um i think that we're going through this kind of renaissance period where there are lenders like the bdc as an example um business development bank of canada who i would recommend everybody just like check it out check it out um i mean nick can connect you with them as well like on a deal by more deal by deal basis but you can also just reach out to them directly and get them to look at your business case and say, could I go buy property with this business? And they will, they'll they'll kind of answer you yes or no. But if you're a business that you're using a yard anyway, or you're renting space or whatever it is, or an industrial space, like, you know, a lot of guys have contractor garages or, you know, whatever it is, um, you can buy like small industrial units in most cities in the GTA for far cheaper than you could buy a house. Like it'd be like, four hundred thousand dollars it'd be a, it, it would be a condo an industrial condo unit but you if you if you require that space for your business you can get a lender who will help you to or they'll give you credit to buy that as would well it'd be easier to get that than it actually it'd be easier well you can go buy it so Depends, like like would it yes. be easier to get than a mortgage you mean yeah probably, uh, it's probably about the same it's okay. the same amount of headaches for yeah. for somebody who's self-employed in the trades like it's going to be hard for them to get a traditional mortgage anyway um, but the, the point is, like, you'd be paying rent on that facility anyway. Like, it really only makes sense if you actually need the, the facility. But if you need space, like, if you need a, a, a yard or a, a garage, and you could get by with, like, a small industrial condo, which a lot of, you know, trades businesses are running out of, buy it. Like, the the cost isn't going to be that much different for you. What's right? the market at,
2: like, looking at for that? Is there a lot of
0: supply? There is, because there's not, like it's still pretty scarce. Like industrial is crazy right now. Like 10 years ago, you couldn't find somebody to buy, to want to buy an industrial. And right now industrial vacancy rate is, it's about the same as multifamily. So it's below 1%. So multifamily is below 1%. Um, and, and industrial is below 1% vacancy. But the thing is, when you say industrial is below what 1% vacancy, that's like taking the millions of square feet, like the whole industrial universe of millions of square feet. And then how many, like taking that, that small 1% of the square footage. But in these individual units, like in condos it's not like somebody's going to go and buy that as an, inv- an investor's not going to buy that to lease it out to somebody. Yeah. So they are really purpose built for businesses who are buying it for end users, right? So owner occupied. And that's what programs like the BDC, the Business Development Bank of Canada, you they they will use the credit to help businesses expand by buying real estate. And if if like if it makes sense, like if you're saying, "Oh, I'm spending whatever, 5 grand a month already renting this space." And I can go own it for five or six grand. Like, yeah, you know why wouldn't I do that? I guess it's
2: it's just where your business is at, and trying to figure out where you want to grow it. And we're not like I want to be everybody to be clear that we're not looking to tell you guys to stop construction. We're just looking at telling you guys to understand the benefits of what you can do, included. Well,
0: in make create create positive byproducts. Yeah, like, why yeah, not? Exactly. Like if you're going to do it anyway, you're going to use this this yard or you're going to use this garage. Why not? You're going to pay for it. You're going to pay a monthly payment to have that garage. Why not build equity rather than just making it a sunk cost? Yeah, yeah. You even own it
2: at some point. And then at some point exactly. you want to retire or pass on the business and you're also selling that and now you're
0: making more exactly. money Exactly. You're building that. wealth or asset value into the business. So yeah. the business is worth more. So we
1: know some business owners that that have done this, right? They They started renting. They realized, okay, this sunk cost, what am I doing here? They went and bought the buildings that they're operating out of. They were able to... Improve them much more than their existing landlord would have let them. Then they've gone and sold the businesses years later, and now they've kept the real estate and they're renting the real estate back to the person that bought that business. It's a win-win-win. It makes a lot of sense. Right? And then even on a smaller scale, right, if it's just a contractor garage or a yard... I mean, in my opinion, it's just oh, if it if it makes sense, it's 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 worth it, right? And it's a, it's a hard thing to you know put a blanket statement on because it's very subjective for your business where you are. Right, if you're a contractor, right downtown Toronto, it's probably not going to work out. But if you're a contractor, maybe somewhere in Vaughan or north of the city, north east west south of the city, whatever. I guess not south, but if anywhere you know in the surrounding areas, there's there's a lot more reasonable opportunity sense. there. It makes sense. And this, this goes for any business as well. This is if you're, you know, not just construction, but if you're, if you're a barber, you know, go try to buy the, the, the business that you're operating out of the whole time.
2: Now, can we talk about CRA, tax man, and just talk about benefits? Or I'd rather none? not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs>
2: I mean, because you got to also factor that in, right? Yeah, sure. So it's like, I, I know that a lot of people about flipping and then capital yeah. gains and yeah. all, we
0: have to be conscious of that as well too, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, so like if you're flipping a property, there's new, so it, I guess there's a couple of different ways you can use being in, in construction to make money in real estate. But if you're flipping, you got to pay capital gains on the appreciation. Yeah. Um, they will probably eventually try and make it fully taxable at business income because they think it's, you're in the business of flipping and they're probably not wrong, right? So yeah. just be, it's worth being cognizant of that. Um, in regards to owning property for business uses, a portion of the interest will be tax deductible. I mean, it's, probably an accountant question. Like I would talk to whoever yep, does your accounting, sure. but a portion of it typically, cause you are, you do require that space for business activity and then whatever retained earnings you get, you'd have to pay tax on as well. So like as you, and then, and then when you set, when you go to sell it, because it's part of the business, it would be ta- like fully taxable to capital yeah. gains and whatever. Yeah. yeah.
2: But if you were, okay, so let's say you were flipping a property. What if you s- decided to stay in the property and you created a rental property, a rental unit in that property now?
0: If you moved into it, yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, the, a portion of it, so like the portion that you're renting, you pay tax on, yes, you would pay capital gains on, yeah. And this is an interesting segue, actually, like because eventually I do want to talk about Bill 23, which is basically where they're making it so that you can put a multiplex in any yes. house in Ontario. That's where I'm, I'm headed, yeah, yeah. That's so, why. <laughs> but so, so like for that, um, if it's primary residence, like hypothetically, should be not taxable at all, right? But a- as soon as you introduce commercial activity you renting it then that portion if you if it's income generating you should pay tax on that portion of it now, how does it work most people don't like to be honest with you it's probably like the most common type of gray area yeah well, it's not it's not like the, the CRA makes it pretty clear but most people just like don't report that income yeah but I mean same. the
2: CRA needs to go to optometrist too sometimes yeah but I mean correct me if I'm wrong but I think that the work that you do or the material that you use is not fully you can't use it towards a deduction or an offset to the the expense of whatever income you're bringing in.
0: Uh, not against the income, you can use it against the capital gain. Doing something what's called a CCA recapture, a capital cost allowance, Correct. which is like yeah. where they you, you add it all up and then you depreciate it and then add it back at the end. It's really complicated. But it's when you cost sell the property. Yeah, because like if you're doing improvements to the property, then technically they d- they're like a house depreciates. So yes. anything that if you do, if you redo the facade in stone, then that depreciates as well. So um, any money that you spend, you're already tax deducting it on a depreciation basis. And then whatever hasn't been depreciated, you can add in to deduct against the capital gain later. Yeah, so a lot of guys
2: were actually reaching out. I was speaking to them and and I found out recently too about that. I was like going, okay, I didn't realize that because a lot of guys were thinking... I'm going to do all this work. I'm going to cover a lot of expenses. I'm going to pay for all the material. I can use this to offset against towards the income. I go, no, it don't work like that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's exactly how you explained it right there. That's how it works. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. Cause built like, so the easiest way to think about it is like businesses have what's called property plant and equipment yeah. and, and PP&E is a house. It fits within that, right? It's a, it's property. And so it, it's depreciable. Yeah. And so that's how you yeah, did, would tax deduct it. So it's just something it's to consider. It's like a actually, car. It's the same. Yeah, as a it's car the same right.
2: thing, right? It's exactly it. Now, is it also true? Because I had a conversation recently uh, in Canada. the CRA hasn't jumped on this yet, but there's no capital gains on uh, vehicles,
0: cars. No. Yeah, there isn't. Well, I mean, there never. But there never. There was, never was. Well, like, but yeah. no, but there would never. Like, this is the first period of time where there ever was. A, where there ever was profit. Exactly.
2: But America's ready. So you can't. And I'm bringing this up because I had an interesting conversation. You can't buy a, a Mustang, 50-year-old Mustang, whatever. Get lucky, buy it for 50 grand, and then turn around and sell it for 150 grand. And not pay capital gains. Nothing. Right, right now, it's right. nothing. But uh, they're saying that CRA is going to catch up to I this. mean, I guess
0: there would be... I guess, like, technically, there should be... It wouldn't be capital gains, but, like, you would still have to sell that as an in, as income because you're disposing of It's still an income asset. coming
2: into your pocket. Yeah, but right, you
0: still have to pay tax on that. But that's more you, than capital
2: gains. If you... Did it as a cash deal, then right. that's a different story, yeah, right? I mean, that's a whole but right thing. now, America charges capital gains on any kind of vehicles that are sold. I think so, yeah. Uh, Canada doesn't yet. So yeah. if you've got luxury cars, you guys want to sell them, then you
0: can... But I think you'd still have to pay on income, would you not? I guess yeah, not. As if the it's income is f-
2: legitimate as income, yeah. So it's actually yeah, it'd right. be more than capital gains yeah. number, right? It'd yeah. be 40%, whatever it is. Right? Whatever your
0: tax bracket is. But then, Because capital gains, you only pay your, your tax rate on half of the gain. So it en- ends up being at the top tax bracket, which typically it pushes you into the top ta- tax bracket. Like assuming you're selling a house, you're making five hundred grand or something. Yeah. I think it's like twenty six percent.
2: So are you guys a fan of the multi level,
0: multi units? Yeah, multi multi-family. Like multifamily. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, for yeah. Sure. It's,
2: it's basically all we do. Yeah. That's all you guys focus on. Yeah. Well, like so, I would
0: get, I would get more into like small industrial and stuff like that, like the the garage properties and yards and stuff that we're talking about. But like it. I'm not the right person to get credit for that. If I was a trade, like all day long, I would bu- be buying small industrial all day. Like I, I actually would prefer it. It's a way less headache as an investor, right? If you can b- buy or build a small industrial property and cut it up into a bunch of units, you run your business out of it and six, and other, tenants, it six other tenants, six other small tenants, you are know, like a fabric smart. fabricator, yeah. garage, whatever. Some fulfillment facility. Yeah, like logistics. tons of last mile, like people running Etsy stores that need yeah. like 2,000 square feet. I,
1: I've got friends. We just drove past their warehouse right, right now and they do, they're do. they doing a million bucks a week in, in shipping.
0: There's this guy on Twitter. He, it's called like, he, they're called Contractor Garages and it's basically like storage but with electricity in it. It's like a storage unit but it's just like has electrical and the guy is making like absolute bank just running these like contracts. So he's
2: built these storage units but he's added electricity. To yeah,
0: so, so they're electrically serviced. No plumbing. So, no plumbing. So think about it,
1: like, like imagine renting to, to someone like that, where they're in the route, it's an easy business. They're there professionally. They come
2: in p-
0: once in the morning, once at the end of the day, exactly. right? and drop the, drop so the truck So technically
2: off. we can buy a yard of some sort and then build the storage units well, on I mean, it. It's not
0: that easy, but like if you, if you had the right zoning, yeah, you could yeah. do that. Yeah. And then also like, and a lot of guys do it. They, they'll just buy like farms that are zoned for outdoor storage right mm. and as long as you like the thing is you you can't just go buy a farm and park random stuff on it like especially if it's a lot of stuff uh you'd need out, outdoor storage zoning for it but i know guys who have done it like i mean even some of the big holdouts where you just see a vacant piece of land in like some of these industrial parks like close to toronto where there's a bu- just a bunch of excavators parked there That's and smart. like you know what i mean and these guys are sitting on like 20 30 million dollars with of real estate so I think that trades have an opportunity to do something similar today. And then the, and we can talk about multi, like the multifamily stuff. But if, if I
2: no, that makes more sense to me, man. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: mean, it it does. Like, I think it's a no brainer. I think it's like the biggest unexploited opportunity in the market right now is that there's so much opportunity for skilled trades to buy real estate.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it's also more of a B2B than a B2C relationship, right? Like what we're doing, we're the business, but we're buying multifamily and we're dealing with individual people. Individual people with the stuff that we're buying can produce lots of headaches, let's say. And that's what we get paid for, right? That's why we make yeah. the little bit of money that we do off them because we're dealing with the headaches. But every, any business I've had with its B2B is always just a different level. People operate on a different level than it's a business transaction. Exactly, right? Instead of like, I, you know, you are renting your home from me, right? Like you've been here for years, I'm just the new landlord, whatever it is, versus, I'm, prov- I'm providing someone with a business, a place to run that business out of. And as long as I'm a good landlord, and again, this is what the stuff that Chip Wilson was saying, the billionaire founder of Lululemon, who, who is now one of the largest uh, lab and what was it? Life uh, sciences. Lab and life sciences landlords in Vancouver. Just a really interesting niche, but he he's very passionate about that side of things. And it was just fascinating to hear what they were saying and what their tenants are looking for versus... Because they also own a bunch of multifamily down in Seattle, and and the differences between those two portfolios—the multifamily versus the life sciences and lab stuff—you think life sciences and lab is going to be a lot more, you know, pain in the ass, a lot more complicated. Well, it is, but at the end of the day, it's way more worth it than the multifamily. For us, multifamily is just. Less of a barrier to entry, you know. Dan's talked a lot about BDC, the the equivalent on the multifamily side would be CMHC, Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation. For the people in the states, it doesn't matter. For Canadians, look it up. Well, you in don't the know states, what it it's high, housing and urban development. Right, but uh, yeah. So, anyways, the similar program that that uh, provides programs and, and incentivizes people such as us to to buy multifamily and and you know build more multifamily, etc.
2: Do trades people have to get worried about? getting too big on paper?
0: I don't think so. I mean, like, I guess it depends on whether or not you think that Canada is, like, headed for a similar version of capitalism to the U.S. Like, but, but like, you think about a lot of the guys, like, a lot of people think, like, the American dream or the Canadian dream is, like, home ownership. But the the real dream, at least in the American dream, is building a business that's so big that you can, like, IPO it or sell it for a bunch of money. So I think that if if your business is too big, you, like... That's a very good problem to have, right? (laughs) Everyone should be striving for that. You have
2: options to where you can go with it, right? Away from it, right? Yeah, no, okay. I'm just trying to figure out because you get a little bit
0: of that intimidation in tradespeople wondering, I don't want to be that big, right? Well, the it's like just like real estate. It's like if you're building a portfolio. It's not, real estate doesn't kill people. Running a business isn't a bad investment. Never never a bad yeah. investment. Real estate is not a bad investment. The bad part about those two things is when you scale and you scale quickly, you often use leverage. Debt is what kills people nine times out of 10, right? Yeah, very, very true.
1: And just to add to that, I mean, not like the debt piece for sure, that's that's the number one killer. The other thing is people trying to do everything themselves. If you're growing and, and you can't figure out who to bring on, and this is literally a conversation we had on the way here because we've got some businesses that that are growing pretty quickly we are already working too much how do we bring in the right people to handle those business how do we silo off those people and you know that's that's your job now you come in and tell us what you need from us right you create those people through that who not how mentality so bring those people on and if that's the case and you've got the right people around you then hell yeah keep growing why wouldn't you want to
2: i agree with you 100 the problem is you're dealing with trades people i think that they can do everything (laughs) Right. <laughs> this, right. come, come to the real to estate everything. come to the real estate world same, same thing. thing right yeah. Yeah. yeah so I mean that that's it's just, just a, a mindset matter. you have to look at it for sure and it's a long game too right yeah you can't if you if you go down this path you have to start thinking about this long game what is it yeah. and I've told people you're in your twenties start thinking about your exit plan right right because you have a perishable career. Right. You can only do so many swinging of the hammer for so many years before you start having physical problems, right? Exactly. So you have to start thinking about, how do I get out of this at 50? Now, when I say out of it, like you're not swinging the hammer anymore. You're probably PMing it, you're organizing it, you're branching off, franchising it, doing anything. But you're you're focusing on a pencil more than you are on a nail. Exactly. That's all I'm saying. Love so that. if you yeah. can start planning that, because a lot of guys that are in their 40s and 50s didn't do that. Mm. And now they have to still work into the 60s and late into the 70s. Yeah. And they talk about... It's the passion drives me. Passion drives, me. yeah. But your bones, your aches yeah, and pain. pains, passion is going to drive. Yeah, you into ask the your ground. joints if they feel yeah. the same passion, right? Yeah, and the problem sure. is that we're living in a society now. What is it now? You need a minimum of a million dollars to retire in Canada yeah. these it's, days, it's right? say bare minimum. Bare
1: yeah. yeah. well, minimum. And like yeah.
0: what you see happening in France, like France is just like twenty years ahead of us, maybe fifty years ahead of us. Like, you think our pension system is going to survive for the millennial well, generation? Was, to the, be the last there?
2: show we were just doing that is like I'd, I'd love to see that happen here because well, I think construction and people in general, Canadians, will. Be just like the Parisians, man. Yeah.
1: Well, how many how many construction guys have
2: pensions? They don't. No one that's does. The problem. No one. In, no one in real estate. Has so you pensions. need a You guys don't have it either. No. Anybody. that's why we buy. That's why we buy houses. That's the pension. You right have there. to make your own pension. Exactly. And then that pension that they'll give you later on, which is going to be pennies, you'll be like, all right, fine, I'll get a, a coffee lift with this, right? Exactly. So it's so kind I mean,
1: scary. T- my my thing to answer your question, you know, what, what like how do you go from Hammer to pencil, which I love. That's that's great. That should be a T-shirt, to be honest. Um, Take it, run with it, Etsy it. <laughs> there you go. Someone listen. I give you the permission to go do that. Uh, we'll get ten percent. Um, like literally, like all of those guys that are going into you know, even at, like so. I'm a few years older than Dan. I'm 34 this year. If I was an active, if i have my own construction business, I know a couple guys our age that that do. And their, their main thing is I can't find the right people. I can never find the right people. I'm like, yeah, because the right people are being pulled by, by everyone. They know they're the right people. They're charging way more. And then, you know, the wrong people still get work because there's such a shortage. There's all these programs. Like the program I took like 10, 15 years ago, whatever it was, the Construction Engineering Management Program at George Brown. There's programs like that at every college. There's online programs yeah. like that. All of these guys, and, and I don't know why they never did this when I was in school, and maybe they're doing it now, but, like, there should be apprenticeships offered in each one of those. You should be going and finding, and, like, each one of those trades that are looking to find that next batch of, of young people, go and, like, bring, like, go and find them at, at those programs. Because a lot of those guys that were in those programs, some of them went off to do well in construction. Yeah. Half of them are working at Home Depot. And I'm not kidding about
2: no, that. No, I'm not. I know. I know. It's, it's brutal.
1: So you went and spent a couple of years learning and you know the ins and outs of construction, everything from surveying to concrete forming and and all this good stuff. Now you're now you're working at Home Depot selling two by fours when all you had to do was go and and you know meet the right person and that's what it all comes down to within real estate within business is is networking and finding the right people. And if there's no path or vehicle to do that for these young people or these middle aged guys that are like shit, I got like ten more years with a hammer and then it's fully pencil. Or crayon, I don't even know at that point. <laughs> you know, that's like that's one of the main things. I think we need to get the younger generation and the older generation trying to figure out how to how to talk to each other. And I also think there's going to be a lot of frustration there for the older guys that are like, this person has no idea what to do, and and you know, they, they need to. There just needs to be a bit more synergy there and a bit more communication. I don't
0: know how, it's but true, like because you're talking like. Everybody talks about uh, there's, we're about to see like the biggest generational wealth transfer mm-hmm. in like between the baby boomer generation Four, and the millennial 400
1: generation. 400 billion in Canada. And
0: like a lot of that's going to take place through real estate. Um, but another big portion is through business value. Like, you know, the number of baby boomers set to retire over the next decade is enormous. It's the biggest cohort of retirees ever to happen in Canadian history. And all of those people are going to, or sorry, a good portion of those people are entrepreneurs who are just going to like either sell their businesses for nothing, Or just shut them down. Or just shut them down. And so, like, the same way we talked about the vendor take back thing, where people should buy properties and try and turn the owner into the bank, make the owner lend you the money to buy that property. Similar things could be, and these happen all the time in the trades place uh, in the, or in the, in the construction industry where somebody is, you know, a junior guy at the company is taking over the business from somebody senior and they, you know, maybe give them 20% of the business residual forever and that's the guy's retirement plan.
2: Yeah,
0: A lot of room for deal-making to happen in that space. So
2: that's that's far and few that that happens. I mean, it's very for sure. rare, right? And it's usually you have to be married into it or, or actual family member yeah. at that yeah. point, yeah. Right? right? If you still have the interest to do that. With the baby boomers, I get that there's a generational, but the thing is that Canadians also are living longer too. Yeah, for sure. And then their children are buying or overbuying, I guess. Mm -hmm. Right. So all of a sudden they have to still factor in what they need for their remaining years. Yeah. And and then factor in how much less they can give them as a result of that stuff. So it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting change or shifting up the guard or something like that yeah. because I'm into mean, like a bottleneck situation. It is. It's going yeah. to be interesting. Right. Cause I mean, the last thing that any of these baby boomers want to end up is in different homes or something like that. And all of a sudden not have enough wealth to take care of themselves. Right. Yeah.
1: And that's, that's one of the other major opportunities that we talk about is all these baby boomers that are moving out of the, you know, four or five bedroom home, three bathroom home that are now $1.5 million Insane. plus, right. You've got, hundreds of thousands of these people come into an age where they're they're empty nesters they don't want those places anymore but where are they going to go right there's no homes being built there's there's not enough like detached bungalow loft, whatever kind of like easy access built purpose built for boomers right that is a huge opportunity as well so someone out there listening I know, you know it's, it's been brought up, and I yeah. know that
2: there was. Uh, I brought up a study in Vancouver that actually a, a, an empty nester did that, a, a retiree did that. They had a triplex and they converted it into yeah. three different dwellings, and then they rented it out to two other baby boomers. Right?
0: Yeah, that's gonna. That I think that's the next trend to happen in Canadian housing. Sense. Like I think the government yeah. has failed so hard at, at all levels to deliver affordable housing that uh, that's never been said. Yeah, and and, and, <laughs> that's and first um, on this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> and the I think the regular people of Canada are going to be left to solve this problem. Like the developers could have done it. The private sector could have done it, but planning takes so long. And then now we're, uh, our, we have a skilled trade shortage because we're not immigrating the right people. Like we should be, we should have way more skilled trades immigrating. They want to come here and work in Canada, in the Canadian. Well, we're world. also not making
2: our own ingrown talent here right. interested in construction. Mm-hmm. Right. For sure. No, that's it's true. A, that's so, a bigger problem too yeah, as well. Yeah, too. That is an
0: excellent point. Um, but I think it's interesting like with Bill twenty three being proposed in in Ontario, and then in BC, they have similar things being proposed where basically, they want to make it so that you can fourplex everything in in the um, province of British British Columbia. They they've basically made it doesn't matter what neighborhood. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter any any lot in Ontario. And at, no shit. Yeah, in Ontario, Bill twenty three is basically proposing that you can duplex, so you can put two units into any house that already exists in in the province. So if I, if all of these houses that we're talking about these because baby boomers, like the household size in Canada has been shrinking since nineteen sixty three. It went from, like, six people on average to, like, just over two people on average. Like, I think it's 2.4 or something? Yeah, yeah. So Same size square footage? Well, like, the, no, but then we don't really know, like, what okay. the average square footage of a house, but the household size. So let's assume it's the same square footage. It's probably bigger because we've been building big so like mansions. So in the 60s, it was six, and yeah. now it's two. So people yeah.
1: went from having four kids to, you know, one yeah. and a half.
0: And the total number of people living in a house has basically been cut in half or a little bit more than half. Yeah, And so what, what this ends up with is, like, we have a whole country that it has too much house. Like, and if you look at, there's like this study basically of, of how people use their houses and like, they only use like three, three rooms in their house other than going to their bedroom. Yeah, I have all these baby boomers who are literally one hip replacement away from not being able to live in there. Seriously. <laughs> well, I'm, like, I'm
2: not, No, I'm not laughing at yeah, that because no, but it's, no, true. But it's true. As yeah. you get older, you start realizing the stairs. I don't want to deal with stairs. As and soon I'm not
0: going to put that chair on that stair. Right. All yeah. Right? No, exa- well, a that's entry you know, home. I can't No, and, and that is one of those things, right. Where it's like that, that's like the final piece there. Like I'll it put it, an
2: right? elevator in there before I put that <laughs> yeah, chair on yeah. that stair. Right? The yeah. yeah. The and so it's like
0: how, okay. So we're going to have, I think a surplus of all of these homes. Cause like, our generation can't afford to buy all of these four bedroom houses off of these boomers. And we're not having enough kids to either. Like there's no point we we don't, none of us need all of that space. So, so I think you're probably about to go through this major transition where you start seeing policy like this, where, you know, a lot of the high rise stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's only economical to build when interest rates are low and you're already seeing construction pull back, right? Like we've seen 30% of projects either canceled or postponed. Um, you need a lot of foreign investment to buy all of those units. You need a lot of uh, rental growth to to rent all of those units from the investors. Whereas we already have too much house, I think, and so I think we start seeing a lot of those converted. And and to me, again, this is like when I sent you the notes. The other big opportunity to, that I think exists for people in the construction industry is converting houses to multiplexes, One, like buying. I, like, I, I so, totally agree. So if you if you're if you're the two ways that as a as somebody in the construction space you can build wealth is buy your own industrial property or buy your own commercial property that you need to use and and build it into the business or if you're multiplexing houses like if you're buying single family homes and adding basement and apartments to them or whatever if you can do that for less than a hundred bucks a square foot you're beating the market by like three times yeah. probably like a brand, if your brand new builds what three fifty a foot now probably four hundred a foot what plan are you guys on right exactly <laughs> so what what is it four hundred like no you're just six to seven man that's construction yeah, or sorry uh, or um, concrete like your high rise yeah 600 bucks no no view.
2: no that's residential custom resi right but that's the actual for custom. that's custom but, yeah but yeah custom but if you're talking you're a skills trace person yeah. you're whacking that into a third I right? think the
1: average Canadian right. is like 375 or something like that that's na- na- zone, na- national sure. national, national sure. average yeah, though right that, so we're that, talking like Builder Winnipeg
0: Ray, Edmonton yeah, exactly yeah, yeah yeah yeah, for sure but, but, but so so house already exists if you're retrofitting it in you can probably do it for I don't know 100 150 square foot under 200 bucks a square foot as a trace person Calling in sure. some favors
1: with your buddies. And and the other thing is there's, you know, there's, there's strategic ways into stuff like that, right? So you can go and be a first-time home buyer. You can go and live in one of these properties, get 5% down, and then do that over the course of a year. And all of a sudden, now you've house hacked a single-family home into a duplex. And then if, like, permits allow for you to do it, you've got a detached garage, turn that into a unit as well. Now you've been living in the same place for a year and a half, you went from one units to three units. You've created a, uh, you've created more housing, but you've also created a, a liability into an asset. And then go and do it again somewhere else. Go move
0: into another place, keep that one as a rental property. Go move into a new primary residence. Like people tri- in the tri- triplex it, move on to the next one. Exactly. You could, if you do one of those a year for the next ten years, you got a thirty-unit portfolio.
2: Can you? I know that I was having this conversation, but I wasn't exactly sure on the the literature if I actually read all the multi. Can you just park another dwelling in the backyard of any backyard? So not yet, right? D-
0: yes. So this yes no. The, so Bill 23 is designed to make that happen. The te- The technical answer is yes, you could do it. The, the problem is the municipalities still have the power to say no. You know, they yeah. Now, they can't technically say no. Like if they said no, you could take them to the OMB, the Ontario Municipal Board, fight their decision, and you would win every single time. But the problem is like, and it's not even that they're, that they're like trying to um, stop housing from being created. They literally just don't even know that the rules have changed. So, so, <laughs> so bill 23 so they'll just is, tell
2: you know, and then hope that you go away, but then you can come back and go, well, hang on a sec.
0: Yeah. Well, you could just fight it. Like you could take, and, and so it, right now it, you can legally already put a, uh, two units into a existing dwelling and a, a garden or um, a garden, a garden, suite. Suite or or D-D D-D or or a house on a detached, yeah. on a detached property. Yeah. The problem is and, and it would have to meet the Ontario building code and whatever. So you'd have to meet ingress, egress, yep. fire separation, yep. um, setbacks, et cetera. Yeah. But yeah, you technically you can do that. Yes. It's just like right now, is it worth it to try and get the permits from a municipality? Whereas we know that on the horizon Bill twenty three is gonna come out. When it does, they right. literally you literally just go as long and you go with your engineer drawings and say this is stamped, it meets the criteria of, of Bill Twenty Three, give me my permits and then you go and do it whereas right now they'll be like oh you have to go talk to zoning because you're technically and you don't have to talk to zoning but they're going to try and make you run in circles because because no
1: one at the zoning or municipality or the government whatever little government that is knows what's going on right so there's still all this red tape and it's always that early adopter that that's going to go through all the bullshit they still don't
2: even know what a two by four is right so i mean i want to talk a little bit canadian history now right so we're only getting getting more expensive housing is not going to right drop down and magically lower itself right these are the housing prices canada toronto whatever across the country vancouver toronto what's the third one that's most expensive here montreal montreal right they're always going to be at that top 10 list of global places to live and most expensive right so basically, in the next 10, 20 years, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see subdivisions or even homes in Toronto. I don't know so much about homes in Toronto because I can't see Forest Hill, Rosedale. I can't see any of those homes adopting this, right?
0: Well, who's to say that? You don't know. They don't exactly. have, a, cho- Ooh, no, they don't have yeah. a choice. Like, the reality, the, it, it's it'll be the
1: occasional. It'll be the occasional larger one that, the, one that yeah. has a couple units in there. And and, there'll be some fighting going and on. And the NIMBYs won't like that. Yeah. yeah, I know. It'd be all kinds of I but,
0: dream of it being called Fourplex Hill one
2: day. <laughs> That's actually pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't see it, but I mean, eventually, if you go down a, a normal neighborhood, right. you could potentially see a, a dwelling on top of a garage that's connected to the main floor garage. For so sure. Now you've got one dwelling. Now you've For got sure. a garden suite in the back, and then you've split the main dwelling, which is two stories, mm-hmm. and then you probably have a basement of use. So technically speaking, you have five dwellings mm-hmm. on an existing one dwelling structure right now. That's the future of what this is
0: happening. Could be. Like, well, I think three is what they're aiming for, but but yeah, I mean like but even three it, to me is like you just tripled the potential housing stock.
2: Yeah. Right. It's true. That's because that person could only afford that one floor, that one unit. So that's where they can't afford. By then, ten years from
0: now, homes are gonna be what? The average is closer to two mil? I mean, I like you got problems with the Canadian dollar at that point, if that's yeah. that's I mean, that's the big question. Like are house prices even going up or is the value of a dollar just going down, right?
1: But, if, but you said you want to talk about history. You know, if you go back and look at specifically Toronto and Vancouver, let's just pick the two hottest markets in the country where both the average homes are now Toronto's 1.1 million, Vancouver's 1.2 million. Crazy, right? I'd say, I, and I'm, I'm going to mess this stat up, but I think it's something like 67% in Toronto and over 70% in Vancouver are of, the, of the downtown city cores are strictly zoned for single family. And that goes all the way back to planning in like the 1920s where they just literally would not allow multifamily. Now, if you go to certain areas for anyone not in Toronto, this won't make sense, but Spadina, for instance, and you see all the multifamily, like the missing middle, which is something I do want to talk about before we finish up here. Sure. Um, Something that we're super passionate about, we're actually working with a few different companies across the country now in the early stages of providing missing middle housing, which is just fascinating because I've been on calls with, People in the Yukon Territories, just in the last week, people in the Yukon Territories, people out west in both Vancouver and Alberta, uh, people on the east coast in Halifax and Moncton that are literally all telling me, I think it's, I'm hearing the exact same story from every single person across the country. It's that the housing shortage here is so crazy. Missy middle is, doesn't exist. And I, I need to, I like, these are all construction guys that are, that are doing it, reaching out to us. Um, Dan came in. He had a jacket on. that said Land Bank. That's our company that does missing middle funding. So we provide funding, and our sweet spot is basically anywhere from like two to fifty-ish million to build out missing middle housing. And for those that don't know, missing middle is essentially, you know, I think f- anywhere from three to six stories. Go walk a street in Paris, Rome, Amsterdam, and you'll be pretty that's clear. You'll it be pretty clear what missing middle housing is. If you walk a street in Toronto, you're either walking downtown in the central business district. We've got towers from 30 to 90 stories. And then from those towers, you go up and you look out. And then all of a sudden, there's tower, tower, tower. And then it stops. And it's just single-family homes as far as the eye can see. You have European people coming over here being like, what the hell is this? I get off the subway and I'm in, an, I'm in a suburb. That doesn't exist in in the rest of the world. Yeah. But somehow, we've screwed it up so badly zoning in the last 50, 60, 70 years that now we're stuck with this problem and now we're trying to fix it when we've created this this whole thing. So the missing middle is is I think that something that uh that we really all need to you know figure out as a country and and these bills and this legislation that's finally starting to change is is going to I think be the first step there and I hopefully I think you know in a few years from now we'll start to see new zoning that that is like really incentivizing the missing middle stuff. So you've got a uh, you know you've got the, the single family homes and then all of a sudden there is a five-story building with maybe mixed use, right? There's a barbershop or a cafe or a yoga studio for Mike Holmes or whatever in, in, the, uh, in the main floor. And then, there's, and then there's several floors above it, right?
2: I agree with you and I love it. I would love to see that. Because, but I find that Toronto has lost its corruptive way. You know what I mean? It's whatever politician's flavor of the week feels like doing right at that moment and that's why you get a city like toronto that is so messed up like there's such agreements here and then non-agreements here and then you get this confusion Mm -hmm. and then they don't know what to make of it so they don't know how to fix it or how to change it how to it took us 50 years to get an agreement on a subway line that we have the worst subway line in the entire world
1: I, i used to live at young and eglinton that don't even get me started on the lrt that was they were talking about the lrt being finished maybe 15 years ago when i was graduating school and i was like okay awesome i'll be able to use this in a few years i just drove past my old neighborhood i don't think anything's been done it's Not crazy
2: and it's still gonna take long that's what yeah. i mean there's like it's just corruption or attached to it to change its mind and all of a sudden money's being spent and wasted i would love to see the like planned cities yeah like these other bigger cities that have figured it out, they figured it out way before us. And why didn't we pay attention to them to figure it out? Now we're trying to figure it out now, but we're only doing pieces of it now, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's gonna be challenging,
0: for sure. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a massive problem to solve, and it's the problem to solve. Like you, you have an entire generation coming up that can't afford to live. Like, and where are they gonna go? They can't afford to own their own property. I think most people can't even afford to rent. Like the rentership right now. So like, what's considered to be affordable by government agencies for housing and, and it's actually funny because we work with a lot of these government agencies and they they sort of asked us to stop asking what the word affordable means. Yeah, we literally told where we can't use the word I won't affordable. I won't name because we like but they don't want to have to there, explain. But, yeah. but they won't they don't want to have to explain because technically afford the amount of income that you should spend on housing is 30% or less for it to be considered affordable. Yeah, affordable. but the average person today to own a property in Toronto is
2: supposed to be making 123k. In average,
0: if you if you want to be able to afford a, a house at thirty percent, you have to make two hundred and sixty five grand in Toronto. <laughs> so, and, and if you if you make the average salary in Toronto, you have you would have to spend or you would it would take you what is it like 27 twenty seven years to save a down payment 20, 28 saving, years and, and 30, average 35 salary. years. What in, kid in
2: what occupation is making a nobody, million like, dollars?
0: Nobody like even my buddies are investment bankers who make obscene amounts of money in the city of Toronto can't afford housing. Like you have a very messed up city where it basically. You either have to inherit wealth, marry rich, or have already owned. Have have to already be on the property ladder, in order to, to be part of the housing economy. Yeah. Otherwise, you you are, you're excluded fully, and you're renting forever. And this is like, it's this is how all capitalist economies end up. Like in the U.S., it happened very much in a lot of cities. They're ten years ahead of us, but you look go look at Europe. Like Europe, the homeownership rate has been in decline for twenty plus years, thirty or sorry thirty plus years, yeah. and. All young people just rent, and they're and and the only place people own homes like any, urban areas are all owned by investors. Everybody rents, and then in the suburbs, people have these multi generational homes, where once they've met their mate in the urban area, they go move out to the suburbs with them, and they take over the family house, and the parents live in the basement or whatever. We're headed there, like yeah. that's just what a late stage capitalist housing model looks like, unfortunately. And 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 so the question is, do you want to be the investor owner, or do you want to be the tenant? And that's the question that we answer like a lot. That's literally what, you know, our, our whole thing is about is yeah. how, do you, how do you get to the wealth accumulation part to not be, you know, f- fall victim to a system that's just going through its life cycle.
2: So off mic before we got started, you guys were talking a little bit about um, you haven't seen lows in 20 years like it
0: has been right now. So you guys are still... Transaction volume, et cetera. Yeah. So 2023 is looking a little different. Well, prices are down. Like we just saw, the biggest drop in Canadian in price history, uh, biggest drop in house prices in Canadian history, happened basically for the last year. So from in Canadian history, yeah. yeah. So from February twenty twenty two to February twenty twenty three was the biggest drop we've ever seen in Canadian house house prices. Wow. Bigger than bigger than nineteen eighty nine, bigger than nineteen eighty one. Now, mind and, you, to but proceed it's still that. not afford. You still can't afford a house. But After, also
1: to proceed that we also saw some of the biggest increases. Yeah, ever in Canadian history through the stupidity of the pandemic and the way that people were spending money and the inflation the printing of
2: money. So is it just leveling off?
0: Yeah, it's basically flat now. Like, it is trending up, but it always does in the spring. So spring market, you see a bit of a bump, and then it'll probably, I would say, prices will rise till May. I mean, it sounds like I'm being predictive, but this is literally exactly what's going to happen because it happens in any spring market, so... Prices will rise until May. They'll fall from May until August, and then they'll rise again in September until October, November, and then they'll fall into Christmas, and then they'll just do that same thing over and over on an upward trajectory in humps. The same forever. way construction
1: has cycles, seasonal yeah. cycles, right? Yeah. Real estate's no different.
2: Uh, right. I mean, this morning I was talking to another lumber guy, and we were all, if you guys want to build a deck, do it now. Now's because the Because there is <laughs> so much supply, and yeah. prices are going to drop. That's all I'm saying. Remember when it was lumber and toilet paper that were like the two craziest things together? $12 for a two by four, right? That yeah. was just pure capitalistic greed, right? Yeah. Which I wasn't a fan of. No. But I want to basically just try to figure out uh, we're getting close to wrapping up, but we still got some time. Um, right now, for tradespeople, the best option is if you as an individual can't do it, partner up with people that for you sure. work yeah. with and you trust and do it together and then make it happen. And then eventually continue doing it together to make it happen again For and sure. again until you can do it on your own. And that's how you're going to grow your
1: 100 percent. Of, one of the major things that, that I think we talk to investors all the time, dozens of investors a week. Trades and and actually make we we, all, we always talk about value add investing. Right. Mm-hmm. So invest, make that property better. One of my favorite real estate quotes ever is I don't buy real estate because I think the value is going to go up. I buy real estate because I can make the value go up. who's going to make it go up that's a tradesperson that's going to come course, in and do that yeah. either you put in another bathroom, you put in another bedroom, you put in that basement suite, that in law suite, that detached garage, or you just put in the garage and rent that out right there's There's so many creative ways to do it so you know i've I've done several transactions in in real estate where i didn't have any money in, and I put a ton of sweat equity in and you know i was able to leverage my skills as a former pm and and you know just as a as a laborer to to be able to work that in and then go and convince other investors who had the money and not the time and the and the a desire to get into the real estate investing world and what i did is you know you're not just going to be a random trades guy and just be like hey look i know how to you know i know electrical Come invest in this property with me. No, it's not as simple as that. You still have to know your market. You still have to be able to find good deals. You still have to do all that. So go listen to our podcast. We teach you how to do yeah, all that totally, kind of stuff. Sure. But once you've figured out the basics of investing, which is not tricky, and you have the skills to be able to add value to that property, I can almost guarantee you that you'll be able to find people that want to invest with you because those people are already investing. They're just no they just don't have guys like you or girls like you that, you know, that they need. Right. So trades are the
0: number one thing that that investors need—they still need
2: to see the value that they have value. Exactly, that's it, right? So
0: it's funny, like a lot of people act like the whole like capital, and there's like a couple of like gurus on social media right now trying to sell like, oh, do real estate deals with other people's money and blah blah blah, and they're <laughs> selling you some course. It's like it's really not that hard. Like if you're a trade, you've probably worked at a rich person's house. Like you probably can talk to rich people. Like it's not that hard. <laughs> have a heartfelt conversation with ten of the richest people that you know. Call them up, set a meeting, be formal about it. Take them out for lunch and say, "Have a package ready." Yeah, or or like, or just literally be like, "I want to flip houses," or "I want to." I think Bill Twenty Three is going to revolutionize Canadian housing. I want to multiplex. Random, there's uh, this house um, I know down. House in Forest Hill. No, yeah. like, but you know what I mean. Like, having have a thesis and be like, "This is what I want to do." I know the area. I, I, I'm walking distance. I know how, what houses uh, are worth when they're shitty. I know what I can fix them up to be worth. Go talk to a rich person and be like, would you give me 250 grand to do this? I need you to sign for the mortgage. I need you to buy the house in your name. I'll do all the work. We'll make, you're you're rich. You probably got a good lawyer. Draft up the paperwork. Make sure you're protected and just have a heartfelt conversation. That's how easy it is to raise capital. Everybody right. wants to throw money at real estate right now. The thing that most people don't have is somebody who can solve the problems that aren't the money piece. Yeah. And that's where I think like, so if, if trades want to do flipping houses, Multiplexing houses, building a, a portfolio, whatever it is, absolutely like that's a huge opportunity in the market. So right there's
2: now. plenty of, even though that we're not sure of what 2023 is going to be all about right now, there's still plenty of opportunities this year. Yeah, or, I mean, if you
0: just we've like, been, talk- we've been
1: buying houses nonstop. There's yeah. a ton. Of, there's a ton of opportunity. I think there's more opportunity in a year like this than there has been in the last two years because this year, next year, and in the, in the next few years, where you know we're getting battled by. We're battling inflation. We're battling interest rates. You didn't have to know anything about real estate or trades or anything in the last couple of years to make money in real estate. But now that's gone. Now you do need to know. You need, you need to know information. You need to know people. And the trades have both of those. So again, I think there's a massive opportunity for the trades to be that missing link between the people that Dan's talking about, those rich people that you're, the houses that you're working at, go have a conversation with them. There's, there's more opportunity now than ever.
0: Yeah, like I think adding units is like is really the big thing. We need housing, but and, and so like multifamily and industrial, like in in Canadian real estate right now, are slam dunk deals.
2: Both just missed opportunities right now because I don't know how many people that are actually taking advantage of that right Nobody now.
0: Nobody is. I mean, that's yeah. why we're you know out here trying to do the song and dance about yeah. it because like we I, I want to I want to help more and more people build wealth through real estate, and it's really like there hasn't been an opportunity like this. And, and like it's I, I probably sound like every other realtor saying this right now because like. <laughs> everyone's always like, oh, it's the best time to buy and sell real estate. But like, I'm actually a very, very but You bearish, weren't saying that for the last I'm, three or like, four years. No, like, I mean, if you listen to anything that I've, like, it, you can find me on most social media, I'm, I'm exceptionally cynical and bearish about the state of the Canadian economy, the state of the Canadian housing market, and real estate. And I still do think that prices will fall probably a little bit over the next two years. But I think, his, like, you know, in the big picture, things are going to look pretty well flat if you stretch that out over 10 years and you look at the 1989 prices dropped right off and then they traded flat for basically like five years and then it took them until 2002 to get back to their previous peak
2: yeah
0: i think that we're going to see the exact same thing happen but the thing is like what that does is it creates opportunity everybody wants to buy the bottom of the real estate market the bottom is going to be five years long so start looking now you don't wait because like you could you could have already flipped a property in in a year or Added a unit. Well, exactly. You could be on your third multiplex that you're, yeah. you know, that you're adding units to with an investor, building garden suites, whatever it is. Like, there's so much opportunity right now to solve the Canadian housing crisis, and it's going to be up to guys like us in this room. High rise developers can only do so much, especially with the municipal planning departments. Yeah, caught, too, yeah. they're caught. You know, concrete construction costs going sky sky high. Um, I think individual homeowners working with tradespeople to. To solve the housing crisis is probably the next big theme for like the next decade of, of Canadian real estate.
2: So basically the two of you guys, any tradesperson, contact you guys and then... Yeah, call us. Well, yeah. Just yeah, get the ball to. rolling from there, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: like we can figure out a way to help you with real estate. It's, if it's buying properties to flip or to to, uh, to multiplex them. Or if you want to build a, a portfolio of an, an investment portfolio, or if you want to do the the um, industrial thing that we we mentioned, like happy to to help that's people. That's the one
2: that's appealing to me.
0: Man. It's really like, cool, right? It's cool, and me. like nobody is. And, and the thing is, like, there's such a dislocation. Like, if you look at a, a, a small industrial unit in like Newmarket as an example versus a house in Newmarket, small industrial unit would rent for five thousand dollars a month. It's going to cost you three hundred grand to buy that. I think the last time we looked at them, they're like three hundred grand. That's crazy. And it will rent for five grand a month. There's condo fees, but still. Um, just rough math here. It's, if you are to buy a house that will make five grand a month, it's going to cost you one point two mil. So At for least, yeah. for so for four what four times the price basically, right? Even and, if even if
1: and you're not dealing with the family that's moving in, you're dealing with yeah, a your contractor tenant, yeah. that's moving in. He doesn't want to hear from you. He's hey, like this is broken. Okay, it was a contract. He's probably going to fix, fix it. it. You know, you're not getting the hey, the lights not working. Like I like the calls you get. It. You get as a as a residential landlord. Yeah. You know, I've had to send people in to teach people how to use a washer dryer. Like, it's just ridiculous, right? So Seriously? the B2B, the B, unfortunately, the B2B <laughs> aspect of it is is a huge thing as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and like somebody doesn't pay the rent, you lock the door, right? Like, that's it. In, you just, just hope you're not renting to a locksmith, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Or someone with a big drill. <laughs> yeah, Nick and Dan, all right, we're getting close to the end here. Thanks so much, uh, Canadian Real Estate uh, Investor Podcast. Uh, how many shows you guys have we just released our well,
1: we 80th? just 81 yeah. tomorrow. I
0: oh, like you climbing there, eh? Yeah, well, we do two a week and then yeah, yeah, it's uh yeah. I think we're I think we're the the biggest real estate podcast in Canada. We're the
1: biggest real estate, podcast, and third biggest business one as well, not to not to brag. But we got to pump your own tires
2: sometimes. Listen, I'm the most listened to construction podcast in the entire world. That's what I tell everybody. Love it. There <laughs> we go. Nick <laughs> Dothill at landbankadvisors.ca and Daniel Fush, right? Yeah. Fush? I want to make sure I pronounce that's better back. than most people's attempts. Why do they say it? I get the F word a lot. Oh, I, I don't doubt <laughs> that one, man. Uh, Fosh, F O C H at LandAdvisors.ca. reach him out on Instagram, on Twitter, my buddy, Nick 89 and also Daniel hyphenated Fosh and then, uh, my buddy Nick on Instagram for Nick. Uh, anything last minutes before we get into the 12 questions. Uh-oh. i think we shared a bunch of stuff yeah bring okay. up yoga pants with mike jr if you want man <laughs> <laughs> i'm waiting for his divorce to happen see how he's gonna fall apart that would be interesting no <laughs> i'm call not man. wishing it but i'm not i'm <laughs> waiting for it um thanks so much guys this is actually really cool man seriously yeah thanks for having i've us. had yeah. a, i've had other real estate mortgage brokers on this show and and they've said what they've said you know what i mean they like they buy now buy now buy now but you guys have shed new light on Certain key things, yeah. which is really valuable. I would right?
0: say, don't buy now. As long as this episode doesn't come out before like May, like when is this coming? Oh, it's come gonna out? probably come up the week after next. Yeah, right? I would say, buy this summer, right? Buy this, like, this summer, or, or like, or this, out. or this Christmas. Yeah, like understand the seasonal flows. Like, do not buy in in the uh, high. Yeah, March, April, or May of any year. Like you, you can literally see prices; do they do humps? How long have you guys been in the game? I've been in real estate for fifteen years.
1: Yeah, I've been in construction real estate for for 10 but just on the mortgage side for going on three now but been in the business and construction real estate world for for a decade
2: it's fun huh no? yeah i it's
0: love f- it wouldn't wouldn't do anything else i would i would probably be like a a machinery operator actually but we'll, we'll get into that in the 12 questions here right gentlemen every time i see like a piece of machinery drive by i just wonder if i made the right life choice <laughs> <laughs> honestly <laughs>
2: all right ready for this yeah you guys have no idea what these questions no, are because no, i mean excited. we were communicating so fast through dms and I, normally i send them yeah, that's all bite, good. right so uh there's no right or wrong what is your favorite construction word
0: change order that's your <laughs> favorite construction <laughs> sorry least favorite or <laughs> favorite the next question is least favorite oh i don't know maybe lvl is that a word yeah. acronyms count yeah
2: acronyms count you're going to keep your change order? Yeah, I'll keep it. Least favorite construction word.
1: I'm going to keep it that because I saw a guy, a yacht in Miami. The name of the yacht was change order. No, was really? It? <laughs> Son of a bitch.
2: Wow, you took a negative into a positive. <laughs> That's it, yeah.
0: Uh, least favorite construction word. Mine would probably be mortar. Mortar? Yeah, man, I just have had so much bad experience tiling. I'll never, I don't think I'll ever tile again. <laughs> It's one of those things where, like, you, you always try and DIY, have your friend over with the trade that can, like, you, you just be their helper, right? You got your friend, like, you know, the, the guy who actually knows what they're doing, and you kind of just, like, end up handing them tools because you don't have a clue what you're doing. <laughs> but mortar is, is one that I've had too many bad experiences with. Deficiencies. What turns you on
1: in construction, gentlemen? Uh, creating from, from start to finish, being able to look at something in, on paper and then see it in real life. I've love, loved that. Always have played with a lot of Lego as a kid. Adding units? <laughs> okay. What turns you off in construction? Uh the fact that the
0: schedule is usually wrong. <laughs> never right. <laughs> the cost of diesel fuel.
2: Yeah, why is it more? I have no idea. I, why is it more? I've never understood, understood. that. It well, you? it never was like never historically, was. but
0: and then we got into COVID and like the supply dislocation, whatever. But yeah, and I guess more, that's more why. people
2: purchase diesel vehicles. Yeah. Uh favorite curse word. I don't know. It's <laughs> <Just> too many. <laughs> you got to pick one.
0: Probably, probably fuck. I think.
2: Yeah, I'll stick with fuck. Favorite vehicle in the entire world? Uh twenty five hundred HD Denali. Uh,
1: I'm gonna go like old. I'm a uh, my dad's Italian. I've been watching Ferrari race forever. I'm gonna go probably old uh, Ferrari Testarossa.
0: If we're doing like midlife crisis cars, probably C seven. <laughs> okay, that's not midlife. That's like midlife goal <laughs> car. <laughs> Is no, Testarossa is a beautiful. No, Testarossa is beautiful. What's wrong car. with you, man? It don't the f- That me. was the, that was the first cheese wedge. Like <laughs> honestly, it was there, yeah, right? that right. Yeah. That Biggest created that design. Nice ever I love that whole era. Yeah,
1: right. I love it's that whole beautiful. era of Ferraris. What's your least favorite vehicle? Pontiac Aztec.
0: Great car. <laughs> was that <laughs> Walt- ugly? Walt I was
1: literally voted the ugliest car ever. Ever made. Sure. Yeah. It sure. fell
2: down every like hit every broke. Know so what so Walt
0: drives in Breaking Bad? I think so. Yes. Yes, it is. I don't know. I don't really have uh, my old Duramax was pretty bad. It stopped oh, well on the thing side was of awesome the road <laughs> so many times.
2: <laughs> what construction sound or noise do you guys love? Uh,
1: the impact drill that uh, I hear every morning on the condo being built
2: next door. <laughs> you can hear it all the way, really. <laughs> well, concrete's basically a sound chamber, right? Yeah. So
0: mm. I don't know. Probably like that click when a tape gets. Like finally back, you know, like when you unroll it, oh, it the tip comes measure. back, yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. when well, well, it comes back after one. like twenty-five feet, and it's just like <laughs> that little that final sheathing. That's a good
2: yeah. one before it hits you in the and eye. You feel it in the <laughs> hand, yeah. and you have your the <laughs> tip of your finger in there. What's your least? Or sorry, what construction sound or noise do you hate?
0: Probably the same that one. same
1: impact drill. I've
0: yeah, I think like anything breaking concrete is just the worst. Yeah, it's really because you feel it, right? And it's the, the sound that you feel, the dust. Yeah, concrete just reverbs. Yeah.
2: What profession other than your own would you guys like to
0: attempt one day? I would just be operating like a, a machine, like an excavator, for sure. I've like I thought I think every day about just quitting my job and buying an excavator. <laughs> Which one? I don't know. Whatever. Like pro- I'd probably just buy a mini. I already have like the. A dump trailer so I'd probably just buy a mini and like dig people like separate entrances for their <laughs> just just dig <laughs> holes. Yeah like i'd just be digging like entrances for basement apartments. Knock oh, on the door like, and go, Can yeah, I just yeah, dig a yeah, hole? I, yeah. You want a pond? <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know. No I, I'm just too slow but like but uh but you I just, just enjoy it. using yeah I it. It. Yeah, like it. It's yeah. fun. I don't know. Yeah I don't know. Honestly like
1: I, I really love everything I do right now. I, I I do love the outdoors so I don't know park ranger in the in some like badass national park somewhere.
2: What profession would you guys not like to do? How long do we have for this? S- Top three or whatever. doesn't matter. The worst one.
0: I, I would just not want to do any job that I hate. Like, I think it's sad to see people Waste. not... Yeah, yeah, like, just like... I mean, yeah, you just, like, you live once, like, and you spend, like, what, 60% of your waking life, like, working? Like, fucking do something you want to do. Seriously, yeah. like, and if you hate it, like, find some. Most people just don't know what they like, but I would just anything that i didn't like like i used to work in the public sector and like it was just people wishing like they all had calendars counting down to their retirement date i'm like you're literally wishing your life away right now like you're just and what are you going to do when you retire more nothing they're the least receptive people when it comes to
2: jokes eh? yeah when you go to any kind of building office and you're trying to make a joke just to liven them up and and it could be their best joke of the day and you don't get anything from them man and you just look at them going life's just been sucked from you eh yeah
1: (laughs) yeah honestly i don't even think i have a good answer for that i've i've done a lot of trying different things in my life and a lot of failing um i can comfortably say don't spend any time any more than six to twelve months in something you don't like give everything give everything your all because you'll find passion in like the weirdest things sometimes but um yeah i just don't if you hate what you're doing get the fuck out of there i agree
2: last question if heaven exists what would you guys like to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates
1: i like him to sing me that song i sung in my opening
0: i don't know honestly that's a good question um
1: we've been expecting you
0: yeah Yeah. did somebody mess up change order yeah (laughs) (laughs)
2: gentlemen thank you so much everyone check out their podcast canadian real estate investor podcast uh find it everywhere right you guys are all on that and then reach out to them at their emails man nick.hill at landbankadvisors.ca and Daniel.fush at landbankadvisors.ca and uh that's it, man. Pleasure having yeah, I mean, you. Let's do some really real estate, sure. so man. Let's make some trades people rich us. in real estate. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Thank you. Angela, we're out of here.